we're finishing up our series on work, uh, which I know you're all excited about. You're sick of us talking about your job and, and what you're supposed to do out there, what you're not supposed to do, no doubt. Uh, I know every student in here is like, can we talk about something other than the job that my parents are, you know, trying to get me to go get over at Hat Creek. Uh, but we're, uh, yeah, we're going to close it out today talking about work on mission. How are we missional at work? What is the role of, of just like my work as it encounters the gospel and how do these things intersect? Um, and so uh, one thing that my daughter is into, uh, and I, th- I blame her, her, her male cousins, uh, but Pokemon. If there is something that has endured the test of time, it is Pikachu. Uh, I don't know how he did it, but he has hung in there, you know, Uh, and he's just found a way. Uh, It's a 25-year-old company, and I went to Target, and I was like, okay, she's into Pokemon. Like, her cousins gave her a bunch of cards. I was like, oh, I'll go buy her some cards. And I was like, $8 for a pack of, nope. I was like, are you serious? There's like eight cards in that thing. They are literally printing money. It's like dollar bills. Like, that's like what they're doing. They're just like selling. And I was like, I was like, how much? I'm like, okay, that's like one target in this one year. Like, how much money can this company possibly make, right, doing this? If you know me at all, I had to find out. So, so I go home and I'm like, okay, what, like, what is, okay, if I'm just gauging it with all of the, like, media giant franchises in all of history, all right, I've, and I found a list. And so you're going to see that list, Exhibit A. Uh, all right, and so there's a list of, this isn't like all the top, you know, ones, but this is like in the top 100 of all of like the biggest media franchises in all of history, right? And so, uh, and so like Pokemon's on this list. And this, but I just want to give you an idea of like who I'm, like what game they're in here. Uh, and when I say media franchise, this is everything ever having to do with that brand, that company, right? So when you look up there and you see Star Trek, that's every Star Trek movie ever, every little nerd fest down in some convention center, right? Every merchandise thing they've ever done, every Batman mask or costume your kid has ever bought, every Superman lunchbox or pair of undies he wore when he was a little boy. Uh, all of that is included in this, right? And so you think of everything, merchandise, movies even. So all of the Lord of the Rings movies is all piled into, like, what have, what have they achieved as a media franchise? And I thought, okay, how much money have they made? I figured that out too. Uh, and so here's, here's what that looks like, all right? So like $20 billion for the full Lord of the Rings franchise in history, how much they've ever made in all things, right? Batman, nearly $30 billion. Uh, and so, right? Now... <laughs> That is 436 years of opportunity to make money for all, if you add up all the years they've existed, right? Because Lord of the Rings has existed for 85 years, and 85 years, that's how much money they've made, right? If you combine all of their opportunity, you know, it's like 436 years, uh, and they've made, you know, this. now, where do you think Pokemon has landed? I'll show you. 92 at this point, easily $93 billion. Uh, I was informed last week that Ash finally made it as the, co- as he made it as the best Pokemon trainer in history. <laughs> it was news, like, on a Twitter feed somewhere. I'm like, oh, he did it. After 25 years, he became it. I don't, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Like, what is going on? Pokemon has made more. If you're doing the math, they've made more than all of those combined. So let's just look at this. Like, let's just take the sweep, right? Of Look at all these places, all these companies, all of this. Uh, give me the montage here, right? So like all of this, this is what we're up against, all right? But someone has to tell Gandalf that here's who's king. 
Here's the great wizard. A little, a little cartoon creature that some dude made up, right? And all he can say is, Mika. That's all he does. That's all he does. $93 billion. It's insane. You know, you know who number two is? Hello Kitty. That's the second biggest grossing media franchise. Now, why I tell you this? Because I got lost in some research. Y'all, you need to pray for me sometimes. You know, when I get going, I'm like, that's what? This is crazy, babe. She's like, babe, that doesn't matter. No one's going to care. I'm like, this is nuts. All right? It's nuts. Why I tell you this? Because honestly, Pokemon, more than the entire, like, dun, 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 like, Bond, who cares? Who cares? I mean, Pokemon, a cartoon creature. You're like, but Matt, I got to catch them all. No, you don't. Settle for like a couple. I don't know. It's nuts. And why I tell you this? Why I tell you this? Because most of you in this room have had a job. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you will have a job. I think the question for all of us is, how does it all matter? What does it mean? What does it mean? I mean, if I can look at the top grossing media franchise of all of history and think, really? Which is fine. Like, Pokemon's not evil. They're not like, I'm not trying. I mean, they're all fantasy fiction things, right? They're all in the same bucket. But, I mean, you had to wager, you know, like Tolkien and all of the depth of creating an, an entire, made up an entire elven language in many books and tomes of lore and this whole world he built that would become the basis of what we know of all fantasy genre these days. You know, but then it's like, and then it just kind of gets stamped by something else that comes along, by a Star Wars, who is number four on the list, by the way. What will it all matter? The question we must ask ourselves is, what's the real win? What am I doing with my life? And if, and if, and if week one, we did establish that working is critical, it's part of us living into being made in God's image in Genesis when he created work for us to do. That pre-fall work was part of the perfect, the perfect state of man is that we had jobs and that God created us to do things, to be creators, to, be, uh, 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 to, to create for the sake of human, for human flourishing and not out of nothing, not ex nihilo like, like God does, but with the resources he's given us that we, we foster these things, we cultivate them. And so what do we do with that? Like, how does, it all, how does it all matter? And so that was week one, creating the necessity theology of work. And this last week, Pastor Key talked about the importance of the rhythms of rest within our work. And today, I want to talk about how does the Great Commission, right, Jesus' command to not me on church staff, but to all of us as disciples of the Lord Jesus, how does his command, his Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to command all that I have, uh, teach them to obey all that I have, uh, that I've committed. How, do, how does that reconcile with, I work in a steel mill, I work in that advertising agency? How does it all play in? Uh, so let me pray for us. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, um, Acts chapter 18. That's where we're going to be for the first half of this, and then we'll finish up in Genesis. But um, let me pray for us real quick, and, and we'll, we'll get started. <coughs> um, Lord, just in my own, um, my own prep this morning as I was kind of looking over my notes, I think the Lord kept leaning me towards um, 
frankly nothing to do with my sermon, but more for the people of this congregation, the people that you've entrusted, not just to me, but to every heart in here as a body of Christ, as a body of believers. And, um, and I just kept being drawn to pray for them. Uh, not that this message would reach a certain thing or that you would, you know, move through me, God, but that you would satisfy the desires, needs, and hearts of this body of believers. And so I just want to take a minute and kind of uh, rail in a different direction and pray for some people here. Um, I'm going to pray for Pam Nicely's sweet, uh, sweet mother, Carolyn, who's just been here this last service, who tomorrow has a huge day of, of getting a cancer cut out and a scary moment for her. Lord, settle her anxious heart and make steady the hands that will do your work tomorrow. For the little Nowlin child who was born just when my son was born, that now lays in an ICU after having a surgery on his skull. And so we pray that you would cradle the hearts of those parents and make straight the paths of, of blood and all these things that you have knit together, God. And so, Lord, we do not want said of us that we do not have because we do not ask. And so we ask for these things. We ask for Lindstrock's mother, Charlene, that you would deal with the infection, Lord, as she sits in an ICU, preparing to be just intubated, that her body would heal. Lord, you do these things. You move in the hearts. We, you are, we are not some deists that were spun into creation that you then left to our own devices, God. You meet us, and in Psalms you tell us that you desire to give us the desires of our hearts. And so, God, our desire is you. And we lay these things at your feet, submitting our wills and our lives, our hearts to you, God. And so we bring petitions before you boldly. May we never be a church so large that we disconnect from, from our own body of believers and the needs that we have here. So, Father, we look to you to satisfy us in a way that we never can and never will. We need your Holy Spirit. And so provide that here. And even in this time as I teach, God, your word, I pray that my study would have been faithful to you. We're just so thankful for you. We love you. Amen, church? Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Uh, after this, it, he, th things were going, were, things were getting sideways in Athens because Paul was there. It's kind of his MO, right? Wherever Paul was at, leaders were like, Ugh. they didn't know what to do with Paul. Uh, they tried to bring him to some, some of the leaders, and they're like, we don't want to deal with Paul. And some other people tried to deal with him. They ended up beating the synagogue leader. Paul's like, I'm out. Uh, and so he's left, left Athens. He's coming to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Uh, this was because there was, I'm going to skip it for time. Uh, Paul went to see them. Uh, he's talking about Priscilla and Aquila. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, right? So he's working over here, and then on, sun, on Saturdays, uh, uh, he went to the Sabbath and reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia... Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So now he's got Silas and he's got Timothy showing up. These are two young, promising guys. He's like, you know what? I see something in them. They're going to be the future of some churches. Let me, I'm going to stop working and I'm going to commit myself now to, 
to this vocation of just raising up the next generation of this, of this new Christian church that's birthing out right here in, eight, in Acts 18. So he devotes himself fully to that. Uh, uh, we pick up the story in verse 18. Paul stayed in Corinth, so he's here in Corinth with them. He stayed in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off uh, because of a vow he had taken. So now he's a bald Paul. All right. Uh, they arrived at Ephesus. So if you're like, I'm losing my hair, it's biblical. You're like, I just made a vow. Um, that's what I did. Uh, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So, so he's in Corinth for a while. Now he's sailing to Syria, which is Ephesus. This is where he's starting the church of Ephesus and all that. Uh, but then he has to leave there. And he's going, he's leaving, and where he's going is Antioch. So if you know, like, the three missionary uh, missions, redundant, sorry, uh, of Paul, he's always going, right? He'll go to Galatia, he'll go to Asia, right? He'll go over to Rome, he'll go. And so he's always coming back to Antioch whenever he's launching back out. So he'll do this thing, he'll come back to Antioch. He'll go to Greece, he'll come back to Antioch. Uh, and so that's what he's doing. But he's leaving Priscilla and Aquila there at this church, right? So they've kind of traveled with him. They came from Corinth. Uh, so they've moved from Italy, then they moved from Italy down into Corinth, now they moved from Corinth over into Ephesus, uh, and now they're left in Ephesus, Paul leaves. And we pick up the story in verse 24. Meanwhile, it, as Paul's leaving, meanwhile a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though... He knew only the baptism of John. So it was the second baptism, right? Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism that, that Jesus was preaching about. And so he's missing this little piece, right? He began speaking boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, right? Because they're hanging out still in Ephesus. And they hear this guy. And they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Isn't that fascinating? I love this story. Here's what you have, right? You have this new young buck in town, right? He's a gifted communicator, right? He, he, knows, he knows enough, uh, and, and he's excited about what he's doing. He's excited about being on mission for the Lord, but his theology is just a little off. He's missing a piece. And so you have this seasoned couple, this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, right, who are, right, they're sitting in the back of church, and he's, he's preaching something that's, that's off, and, and here's what they do, right? They're like, oh my gosh. Apollos doesn't even understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm totally leaving this church. This place is bogus. I'm more of a Paul guy. I'm not really getting fed over here with this Apollos guy. And so I'm going to try a new synagogue next week. That's not what they do. What do they do? Do they herald from the foyer with their friends, do you, do you believe Apollos? This guy, honestly. I mean, can we, can we just bring Paul back? You know, the part, you know, I should be on stage. Oh, oh I know, I know him. Do they hear from the back of the room? Apollos, you're wrong! You're welcome, you look here. You gotta be paying attention, you gotta sit right. Happy birthday, by the way. Do they herald it from the back? Church is over. Say, Paulus, we're so excited you're here. We love you. 
Hey, Chuck, come over for dinner. What you're doing is awesome. Hey, you hung out with Paul a while? He wrote Romans. I think he knows more theology than you. Here's, here's what this means. We're just going to teach you more adequately. And we're going to partner with you in this. Could you imagine the state of our culture, or at least our churches, if this was the posture we took? <laughs> I mean, what a lesson to learn from a church attendance. Y'all are great. I'm not, like, speaking out of, like, a lot of hurt here. Like, y'all have been super kind to me. But I just, like, I love this. They're not using their offense as a social currency to spend. They're using it as an opportunity to be part of the solution and not just point out the problem, be the problem, be the problem, be the problem. They're like, hey, you know what? We're here. Let's be part of the solution. I love that spirit of Priscilla and Aquila. And then we hear this in verse 27. 28. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters of this church in Ephesus, where Priscilla and Aquila are, encouraged him and wrote to the disciples uh, there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos is now this huge powerhouse, and you're reading that, and you're like, man, how did this even happen? Like, Apollos is just like slaying it with the Jews, saying, no, you don't get it. Yeah, you're, you're waiting for this Messiah to come. Let me tell you about the Messiah who did come. Let me tell you about the person of Jesus and who he is. In, in Corinthians, if you've ever read the New Testament, right, you look at all the Paul's epistles, right, he always ends them with the and thank so-and-so who labored with me in the Lord. And thank so-and-so who risked their neck for me. And thank, right, he's, oh, he's always ending it with the thank so-and-so, thank all these people, right? Like, and that's, and that's how he'll end. And, and don't skip over those moments, right? Those are our, that's our early church fam. Those are our peeps. And he'll use this in 1 Corinthians. He'll end the book by saying this. On my next page. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings, Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. Okay. So they're in Corinth, right? They're in Ephesus now. And he is writing to these places. And when he's having to address this letter, when he wrote Ephesians, which, have you ever been encouraged by Ephesians? I mean, what, uh, Martin Luther called it the queen of the epistles. Have you ever been encouraged by 1st or 2nd Corinthians? Most of you had it read at your wedding. When Paul sat down and had to address his letter to Ephesus, the address he listed was Priscilla and Aquila's house. How? I mean, we've, we likely have these epistles because some average person that you would never know. Not Paul. I mean, yes, Paul, he wrote them, obviously. But someone had to endure with him and say yes to something. Let's go back to verse 3. How this whole, like, how, does, like, how do we get to this moment where, where Apollos is slaying it with, with the Jews and he's this powerhouse person? How do we ever get there? 
he met some Jews named Aquila and Priscilla, native of Pontifus, who'd recently come from Italy, right? Uh, uh, went to go see them because Paul, he was a tent maker, as were they, and he stayed and he worked with them. How does this whole story start? Someone had a job. Never underestimate what could happen in the context of what you might feel is so mundane. They were making tents. They were leather workers. And who showed up? One of the most powerful theologians we've ever known on the earth, Paul, who happened to make tents intersects with their lives and changes it forever how your first point man you want to make you want to make work matter you want to work on mission you be open you have no idea what god might want to unfold in your life and some of you you've gotten to experience the sweetness of that some of you're waiting for it. Some's like matt you don't know what i do you're right i don't i mean do you think anyone knew what priscilla and aquila did But God took that, and he used what little faithfulness they were willing to offer, and he was faithful in it. And they were open. They were game for it. They were tent makers. They were Christians with regular jobs looking to honor God with, regardless of where the paycheck came from. Like, understand, they didn't, they didn't look at their, mini, their, their job like it was a distraction from their ministry. It was one and the same. And they were part of the solution, right? They, they didn't take a break from the God. They didn't look at the gospel in the church and say, oh, good, we hired someone to do that. <laughs> we fund Paul. We're good. They looked at themselves, people in the seats that you're in right now, they looked at themselves as part of the solution, right? They asked themselves, if God has put us in this city at this time and has put these problems going on in our culture, how are we the solution and may we ask ourselves the same question, looking around at what's going on. Like, man, I hope, I hope Matt deals with that. No. We're all part of the solution. We're all, we're all in the problem together. We're all working this out. Your job isn't more or less holy than mine. We are all in it together, trying to accomplish the will of the Father. And this is what's possible when we do this together. These are amazing stories. They had, they had jobs, and they were open. They were open to how God might use their lives and these jobs and these things, and they, right? They were like, hey, yeah, I've got a full-time. I mean, they were just regular people, full-time jobs. I look at this, and I think of many of you. <laughs> I think of people like, like Michael Kerr, who came and was like, hey, we really need a men's ministry. I'm like, you're right. And he was like, I'll start one. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> so, right, what he didn't do was say, well, get on with it. We need more funding. I'm going to go down the street to, you know, whatever Grace Episcopal Holy Spirit of the Hills Shepherd Church. I got to say a lot to not, you know, whatever. But instead, he was like, you know what's important? That the men in this church 
can experience community together, that they can be encouraged by the word, that they can be encouraged by prayer for one another, and just come together and have shared experiences. So let's have a guy's night out. He made like an axe throwing thing. He like made that. And like cornhole. Like for y'all, for the sake of the gospel, we could come together in that way. And then he had a men's breakfast. And I wasn't your friend. I was in Dallas for like both events. But he's like, that's not going to stop me. I'm not going to wait for, for like them to solve. Like I'm a part of the solution. I think of people like Mark Pierce, right, who retired this last year. And instead of sitting in the it's like, great, now I can just travel around. I mean, they are traveling. Well, they're not here. You know, and they're traveling around. And, and, but instead of, instead of just like sitting on the laurel, he's like, Matt, I'm retired. Here's what that means. I've got all the time in the world for you. What do you need? It's like, I need a VBS set. Can you build a lifeguard stand? <laughs> and he did it. And he had COVID at the same. He like had COVID. He like had a mask on. He's like a sweaty, disaster, poor guy. But he's like slaving over this, you know, VBS set. Why? Because we need to creatively engage kids with the gospel. And he was a part of that, and he said, hey, I'll, I'll do it. He was open, ready to jump in, which does so much. You know, in a set for VBS and engage, you know, it's one thing. But Mark does not flinch when the thing I really need is for someone to just have my back and clean up after me so that I can get home a little earlier to be with the family. And he's like, I got it, Matt, go. Or to clean the raccoon poop off the front mats, you know. There's a lot that needs to be done here, right? I think of a Lucy Hansen. She's in this room right now who we baptized not long ago. Right, she works for the Dripping Springs administration. And within that, I mean, she could just disappear and sit down and do her work. But what she does is she keeps her eyes and ears up. And any time that she hears of something going on that we might be able to interject with, maybe it's a food issue. Hey, kids need food. Hey, I know of a nonprofit that can intercept with that. And she's constantly connecting people that can help one another for the sake of the gospel and meet needs in this community. And she's just working at a desk downtown. But she's so much more than that to her. She's open. She's available. I think of a Lauren and Kyle. Who, who came here and drive in about like 45 to 50 minutes to come. And Kyle's our worship leader. Lauren serves with our students, you know. And then programming increased. The demand was higher. The time to get here was earlier. We split up middle school and high school. And so it was like, now we need, Lauren, we, can you get here on Wednesday nights? God, I live, like it's in the dark. I'm way out there. And so this would have been a great opportunity to say, you know what? We just can't make it. We can't do it. We're going to have to stop volunteering in this way. And, and so we're going to bail. Here's what they did instead. They left the great rent they had. They came and moved into Belterra so they could be closer. She moved farther away from work so that she'd be closer to meet the volunteer needs of your students. That's availability. That's being open. These are hands that shape eternity, friends. And you can be part of it. I think of a Scott and Piper. I've made a lot of changes in this church <laughs> since I've been here. And sometimes those changes, right, they're, they're, they can be a little disruptive. Okay, this is a new thing. And in a season where it could be easy to say, you know what, that's not really what we're looking for. What they decided to do instead was invest and double down. Lead a life group. How can we be part of this solution? And frankly, when a lot of people did leave, they doubled down. And because of that, now like, like when things are changing, they're investing in it and being part of the solution. And we all benefit from stories and hearts like this. You can have the same story. Are you available for it? Or do you resent your job so much that the Holy Spirit is just too busy trying to work through the crust of a hardened heart? what God might be willing to do through you.
That was part one. That was point one. Y'all good? It's a two-point sermon, so you're lucky today. All right? Here's point two. Be faithful. Be faithful. So first point is be open. Second point is be faithful. I have a different story for this. You can turn now to Genesis 30, 39. Uh, story of Joseph. Popular story and often used to, you know, uh, to speak into this. Uh, and while you're turning there to Genesis 39, um, think of like the worst job you ever had. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had a job that I despised. Uh, other than cleaning the dog kennels at my dad's animal hospital. That was awful. I wasn't planning on saying that, but they're not here, so I can say it. Um, that was rough. That was a rough gig growing up, uh, washing down all the dog kennels. Uh, um, but uh, probably if I had to say like, the worst job job that I ever had, uh, which wasn't awful, but it was uh, waiting tables at Johnny Carino's. Uh, I was going to A&M, and I was dating Sarah, and so I was like, I need moolah, because that's what you do, guys. You're dating a girl, you get a job, and you pay for dates, Okay. Uh, and so I got a job, I was paying for dates, and, and I'm like, okay, this is, like, this is awful, right? I got, like, bread oven burns, like, I still have a scar from one of it right here, from, like, the bread oven that just constantly, you know, you're always taking bread out, right? I was, like, slinging, doing things, and, uh, you know, you're getting trained, you have to learn this menu that has, like, basil on everything or whatever, and, uh, uh, you're, like, you're plunging your hands into things that people have been drinking out of for the past hour. You know, and your, your fingers are just kind of swimming in that iced tea. You know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, right, and you're getting like Alfredo sauce caked on your clothes and, you know, a little gorgonzola mess in your, you know, yeah. Yeah, right? Uh, anyhow. And so I would just complain. Also, you're dealing with people. People are awful. So, uh, right, so you're doing all this. And also, I was making $2.17 an hour because that's what happens to waiters, okay, which is why when I go somewhere and the tip is automatically added, I'm like, you don't know know me okay uh you will earn the tip that's what you do because you're making a wage okay i had to jock for those tips all right and i remember being like just like hey i was like man and like at closing time i went and talked to the bartender um of of the place and um not at the bar i was like 19 i wasn't even 21 and uh and so i was just chatting as we're doing like our side work and sweeping floors i was just like lamenting right about my life you know (laughs) and whatever um and he was like oh he's like what's your job title I was like, server. And he was like, oh, oh, so are the people coming in here to serve you? And I was like, you know, but I was like, man, he was right. Like, I'm literally called the server, and I'm lamenting having to serve, you know. And I started to change my game. I was like, okay, what would it be like if they didn't even need me, like a table, like I was that attentive? You know, like you just hear the ping of a fork drop. You're like, hmm, here it is. You know, it's like, can I get your water? I brought iced tea too. You know, you're just like on it, you know. And I was, and I was on it. And I started to change my game and I was like, hey, I'm getting more tips. It actually led to some weird side job that I got because these guys, these businessmen that were there were like, hey, you're doing great. Could you do this thing for us? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And And it was awesome. And I started to, I started to really enjoy it. And I started to make more money out of it because I started I stopped despising the small. I stayed faithful in the little. And God started to do something in my heart on that, right? And we'll see the same principle here in Genesis 39. This is Joseph's story. A guy who was sold into slavery uh, because of his brothers were jealous of him. uh, And uh, this is Jacob's youngest son. And so he's sold into slavery and uh, uh, into Potiphar's house. 
Uh, but in Potiphar's house, he was doing great work. And so he was becoming in charge of things. But then he was also a good-looking dude and well-built, is what the Bible says. Just one of those fun details. And, uh, and so Potiphar's wife was like, hey, boy. And he was like, uh-uh. Uh, and, and so he just, he, and so she made up a lie about him making moves on her, which then made her husband mad. So he's, now he's in another cell. So he's like, from slavery to, hey, things are looking good. Nope. Back into prison. And that's where we pick up. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all he held in prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. The warden was like, I don't even have to think about it. Joseph's got it. Could you, could you imagine if this was the model of prisons today? Hey, can y'all just, y'all are good. You know, I'm not arguing for this model. It is interesting, though. Uh, the warden paid no attention to anything, right? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success, whatever he did. And while he was doing this, Joseph encounters these two other guys that work for the king. Right? And he ministers to them in such a way that when they, when they get out of prison and the king is like, hey, I'm having these bad dreams. Do you all know anybody? These guys are like, hey, we know a faithful guy. He's still in prison, though. And so Pharaoh is like, well, let, okay, well, let's get him out and see if he can be of help to me. And he is. Joseph gets out, and, the, and Pharaoh's like, hey, what do I do with this, this, these issues? He's having these dreams. He doesn't know how to interpret them. He's wondering what's going on. It's about famine and all these issues. And Joseph interprets it, interprets it for him. And so then this is what the Pharaoh does. So Pharaoh, this is in, in now a couple of chapters later in chapter 41, verse 41 through 43. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He's like, great job. Here's Egypt. Like, What? Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger, dressed him in robes of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. How did Joseph get there? He didn't get to prison and be like, I don't deserve this. I've been wronged by Potiphar's wife. I'm just going to... No, he got to prison. He's like, Lord... I don't know about this problem, but you put me in it. And while I'm in this problem, I'm going to be part of the solution. I'm going to stay faithful. He was faithful in the little. I mean, how could he possibly know? How could he possibly? Well, easy for, easy for him to say he's like second to come in. He got Egypt for it. He didn't know he was going to get Egypt. If anything, Joseph was trained that he was just going to keep getting slapped down. That life was always unfair. That it never worked out. That was his story. But that's not the attitude he took. He stayed faithful in the little. Honor the work set before you, and the work will honor you. Do not despise the small. Loyalty matters. Man, I don't know where you're at in your career, what you're looking for, what you wish was true of it, which office you wish you had, what title you wish you had, what salary you think you deserve. Be faithful in where you're at. And maybe even as a stay-at-home parent, maybe that's your role. Maybe that's your job. And maybe there's things you want there. More kids, more rooms in the house. Man, I feel like our house just got real small with Maverick. Right? And we have these desires, these things. Maybe for you, it's, man, if I just had more followers, if I had more likes, if I had more views. Question, what would you do with those followers? Where are you leading them? Are you leading them to yourself? In an effort that you might actually, are you using them to make you matter? 
If you don't know where you're going, what do you want to do with followers? Don't despise the small, because in that, you might find out where you are going, and then God might be equipped to give you those people, since you're chasing, you're setting your face towards something beyond yourself. So many of us, were, we're going crazy and clawing for people to follow me, follow me, 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 and it's like, no, no one wants to follow that. They want something bigger, and here's the beautiful thing. We have something bigger, friends. We have that bigger thing in the Lord. And that life will drain you. The life of me, get this, attain this, it will rob you of the joy of the work that we're supposed to have in Jesus. And really the, the fundamental truth that, that he is who we're aiming to please. And we read that verse in Colossians the other week. It'll also say this in Colossians, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Right? We're not, we're not here to please people. We're here to obey the king. And as we do that, these things have, like, we will be honored in the work set before us as we honor it. I mean, how did I even learn ministry as I think about this? Like, like what prepared me for this? Um, honestly, I, it's, it's funny. This is one of those things, you know, in the office last week, and, a, you know, just some random person from the community who just needs encouragement just kind of walks in. It's like, is the pastor here? You know, one of those moments. So I say, hey, yeah, man, come on, sit down. And we're just talking. And his issue is a lot about work. And I'm just like, Lord, thank you. I have just sermon prepped for like 12 hours on work. <laughs> and this guy with questions about work sits down. I'm like, just so thankful for that. But, but he asked me, he's like, what prepared you for this? Because he's interested. He, he's like, I, like, maybe ministry is like supposed to be his thing or whatever. And I was like, you know what prepared me for ministry? Waiting tables. <laughs> Right, because it, it taught me how to initiate, that I had to be nice regardless of kind of what was coming at me, and kind of deal with the crazy in people, to clean up some of the mess, you know, and even when they were upset or angry, you know, to make sure that they were still served, right? I learned it back in groceries at HEB, amen, Mark? Amen, right? In, in, in checking groceries, that's what I did in high school for two years, right? Because every two minutes in that line, I had a new person there who brought a whole new set of life experiences, life expectations, and they would train you, not a knock on HIV, they would train you not to ask how you are because you never knew what the answer was going to be from that person. And like, were you equipped? But I was like, I'm equipped. You know, I wasn't, but I tried. I did my best. Don't tell my superiors. All right. Right, but, you know, you know and so that was training me, right, every two minutes. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? I know these numbers. I don't even got to worry about it. 4011, bananas, let's go, you know. But I was learning in that moment how to deal with an instant, hey, new expectations, new people, right? What I was doing before I got here, I was a tech producer. I was building sets and running a tech booth. I had no problem. Here was my stage job, to sweep it. You know what I wanted? I wanted the spotlight. And so God in his mercy kept me from it. <laughs> because I didn't want it for y'all. I wanted it for me. I wanted the moments of the stage. Man, in that five to six years of adjusting another pastor's spotlight changed my heart for what this is about, this exchange. And to encourage all of us in the faith and hope of Jesus. There was no way I was ready for this without him. And as much as I wanted the stage, I didn't get it because I wanted it for me, not God's glory. Listen, in the obscurity is where God prepares you for the ministry. 
never despise the small. David didn't learn to be king while on the throne. He learned to be king in the field with the sheep. Right? And when Saul's saying, what prepares you for this? He's like, it's watching my father's sheep. When the bear came, I took him by the beard and killed him. When the lion came, I struck him down. I protected the flock. He was faithful in the little. He wasn't sitting out there in the field being like, man, I wish, I, holy cow, that went south. Right? He wasn't sitting out there in the field with, well, my brothers get to go to the battle line and I'm just stuck here watching sheep. No, he was faithful in it. Never despise the small. Stay faithful. And like all things, like all things, we follow Jesus' example. So I'm going to ask our deacons to come up. We're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper. While they're handing that out, I'm going to finish up here. Uh, they are stacked. Uh, and so you just write the, the, uh, the juices on top, right underneath, is the gluten-free in the middle. All right, gluten-free is in the very middle circle. So if you need gluten-free, go for the very middle. Uh, and take one and go pass it down for now. Um, like all things, we follow Jesus' example. Right? He came to what? To be served? No, he came to serve. And I want you to think for a minute, what did, you can go ahead and hand out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll take one. Thank you. You're just always looking out for me. Like, Matt, we need to save you from yourself. That's most of what it means to serve here. You're just saving me from myself. Um, imagine what, imagine what Jesus deserved. Like as we think about our own job and our own roles and what we think we want, what we think we deserve, what we think we've earned, imagine what Jesus's, um, what's the word I'm looking, potential was. Like what was his potential? His potential was to rule. His potential was to be king. His potential was to make Rome fall at his feet. But what was his ultimate goal? To die on a cross. Was that his potential? No. It was his plan. Not to be served, but to serve. That he was open, right? He would say this uh, to the disciples in the book of John. Uh, he would say, my food, which he was really saying, like, my will, like, my desire, what feeds me, what sustains me. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, his father. That was his gig. He was open. And he was faithful. And so we are called to be the same. What will your life be about? What do you want it to be about? Work, work hard, do business, make money, and glorify God in that. But keep your eyes up. Where is it intersecting with the gospel? Is work your excuse to not plug in with where God is moving? Don't take a life redeemed by the Lord and lead people away from it. In this meal, we remember who we are. And maybe, maybe this morning you're here like, man, I've messed up. Like what, what you're talking about, Matt, and how I'm supposed to utilize my work and those opportunities, maybe even coming to mind of, I wish I was, I wish I would have, if I had only, man, and maybe, maybe that's you this morning. In this meal, we remember 
you remember the Lord, you know what I think? I think of Jonah, who abandoned the work, left away from the purposes of God, the job that God had called him to, right? And then God, after an overwhelming circumstance of chasing after and lavishly extending grace, Jonah is plopped back down to do the work that was set before him. And the same is true for you. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far. Maybe you feel like, like God can't use you in your work, that the work you have is, is just it's too far away from that could possibly be used by the Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, it's not. If God can take a fish to swallow a prophet in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, he can deal with your job. He can reorient it to his purposes. It wasn't a different role that he called Jonah to. It was the same gig. Go to Nineveh. Cry out to those people who need me. And I love Jonah's response in that moment. He said, right, everyone's like, who are you? What are you doing? There's a storm. All this is messing up. He says, you know what? He finally owns it. He, and he recalls it. Maybe this is the best move you can make here this morning. Is Jonah says, you know what? I am a Hebrew. He says, you're right. I've been hiding. I've been running from the God of the ocean and the sea and all this stuff. He says, you know, and he finally re-identifies. And maybe that's the move you need to make today. You know what? I am a Christian. I am someone who follows the Lord. This is something that marks my life. And maybe this morning is the first step in that obedience for you. Of, you know what? I'm going to start looking at this differently. What God might have for me, even in your retirement, even in your stay-at-home parenting, in that teacher role you have, or in that business you're in, or you're in school, you're like, I'm not at an age where I'm working or have a job yet. I mean, even in your school, what's God calling you to? Did he put you in that classroom? Why do you think he did that? Are there problems going on there? How might you be a solution and not part of the problem? We are God's people, and we are his body, amen. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and he took the cup, and, all, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I'll go today encouraged to be open and to be faithful with where the Lord is doing. Would y'all stand as we get out of here? So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant to you his everlasting peace. Amen. Sign up for Christmas on Mercer. Just sign up out there. We'll see y'all next week.